You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 34. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today in the show, we're returning with another segment of From Field Biologist to Filmmaker. This is the ongoing series in which I share my own experiences in making the transition from working as a field biologist to becoming uh, at least close to a full-time filmmaker. You can check out my past episodes from this series, which focused on developing and writing a story outline, which was featured in episode 9, and our shooting techniques guide, which was featured in episode 17. Part three of From Field Biologist to Filmmaker is all about the interview. Conducting interviews may be the most important part of my job. It's an absolutely critical skill if you're interested in directing a documentary. My style of filmmaking places a heavy weight on interview dialogue. Most of my films don't utilize narration, so I have to rely on the dialogue that I get in my interviews to tell uh, much of the story. Especially when working in this context, it is extremely important to have complete control over your interview situation. This episode will be split into two sections. First, we'll talk about techniques for conducting a successful interview. We'll go over question selection and strategies for ensuring that you get the dialogue you need from your subject. Next, we'll talk about interview shooting techniques and how to make sure that your interview both looks and sounds beautiful. Conducting interviews is something that I've had a lot of practice with over the past five years or so. This began in earnest when I started shooting for my first documentary, Scavenger Hunt. Our editor on this film, the amazing Pam Wise, joked that I had gathered enough footage for two feature-length films. I struggled throughout the process of producing and directing this first film of mine to figure out what to focus on in my story. While going through these struggles, I shot many, many interviews that would end up on the cutting room floor. I learned a lot through this process about how to conduct a successful interview, and I'll share a few of these tips and tricks here. First and foremost, you need a plan going into an interview. Your most important tool when going into an interview is your list of questions. So the first thing that I'll talk about is how to come up with these questions. I like to actually envision the dialogue that I hope to get out of an interview subject, then work backwards and formulate a question that I expect will coax this type of response out of my subject. It might actually be helpful for some people to write down either a summary of the desired response or actual dialogue quotes that you hope to capture. I find that my experience as a video editor actually helps quite a deal in this process. It allows me to envision the short, concise clips of dialogue that I want to use in the final film. It can be helpful to jot down ideas uh, to help you think about how to best formulate your question to get this desired response. There are a few rules that might help in formulating these questions. First of all, I would recommend avoiding yes or no questions. Most folks will elaborate when sitting in front of a camera rather than just giving a one-word response, but your job is to make it as easy as possible for them to give a coherent and engaging response to your question. It's also important not to forget about the most basic information that you need to get out of your subject. Phrase a question in such a way that they need to provide that basic information in their response. For example, let's say you want your interview subject to provide some basic biological information about a species. You could ask, what is the wingspan of the California condor? 
A logical response to this question would be a simple 9 to 10 feet. This, however, is an unusable clip of dialogue because there's no context. Instead, you could ask, how would you describe the California condor to someone who is unfamiliar with the species? It's likely that the first thing your interview subject will mention is the wingspan. But they'll have to put it in context because you, the interviewer, didn't actually mention wingspan specifically. This technique can be replicated for virtually any bit of information that you're hoping to get out of an interview subject. Instead of directly referencing the issue you want them to discuss, try to come up with a question that you expect will lead to the desired topic organically. If you want to get basic information about lead poisoning and condors, don't ask, how is lead poisoning impacting condors? Instead, ask, how are human activities impacting condors? Now your subject has to actually mention lead poisoning, since you didn't say those words in your question. Of course, no matter how well you prepare for an interview, you will get unexpected responses and be required to think fast and come up with follow-up questions on the fly. Flexibility is extremely important when conducting an interview. Often the most compelling dialogue will come in the form of a completely unexpected response to one of your questions. And you have to have the flexibility to shift the focus of the conversation to accommodate situations like this. This is a skill that you will learn over time, and it's something that I've been getting much better at since launching this podcast series this past fall. Luckily, conducting video interviews for use in a documentary is actually, I've found, a lot easier in many ways than recording these radio-style interviews that I've been doing for the podcast. In a video interview, you're only going to use a few minutes of dialogue, at most, from an interview that lasts an hour or more. So you can repeat and or rephrase questions until you get the desired response from someone. This is a key trick when recording an interview, and it ties back to my first bit of advice about writing down those snippets of dialogue that you hope to capture. Let's say you ask that well-formulated question that you expect will coax a particular type of response from your subject. But instead, your subject misinterprets the question and starts talking about something else. Or maybe they address the question, but not in the exact way that you were hoping. If you can recognize on the fly that you didn't get the desired response, then you can rephrase that question and give your subject another chance to state that response in just the way you want. As you develop this skill, you will learn that you can rephrase the same question over and over and over until you finally get that desired response. If done skillfully, your interview subject won't even notice that you've asked them the same question five times in a row, and your editor will absolutely love you for giving them five different options to work with when piecing your story together. Something else to consider when preparing for a video interview is the level of preparation that your subject will want or need. Interview subjects will often request to see a list of questions beforehand. I find this is more common for radio interviews, actually, than for video interviews. And you have to be prepared to either provide those questions or explain why you'd rather not provide them ahead of time. I actually prefer to not share my interview questions with the subject before a video interview because I want to get the most natural responses possible and keep a very conversational tone to the interview. For my podcast interviews, I often do provide questions ahead of time. I want my guests to be prepared since there is less room for error in a radio-style interview, and they know that I'll be airing almost all of their responses to my questions. 
In a video interview, however, as I mentioned earlier, you'll usually only end up using a few short clips of dialogue in your final film. So it doesn't matter if your subject flubs their response the first three times you ask a question, as long as they get it right once. I just recently conducted an interview for an upcoming Eyes on Conservation video in which my subject requested the interview questions beforehand. We sat down for our interview, I asked my first question, and instead of giving a natural response, I saw that my subject was sitting there trying to recall the details of the scripted response that she had been rehearsing over the past few days. This is what happens when you provide those interview questions ahead of time. Those initial responses to my questions were stilted, and although I was getting the information I was looking for, the delivery was not well executed. Thinking on my feet, I rephrased each and every question on my list, and by the time we got halfway through the interview, my subject was finally reacting to my questions on the fly and giving me more natural and conversational responses. This is the risk that you run when providing questions beforehand, and unless you're looking for a scripted narration-style approach, I wouldn't recommend sharing your interview questions beforehand. That is, unless you have a paying client who happens to insist on this. That's about all I can think of to say about conducting an interview for a documentary at this point. As I've explained, getting experience under your belt is really the best way to learn how to become a successful interviewer. As you get more experience conducting interviews, you will start to develop your own unique style, and this is really the ultimate goal for a filmmaker. You want your films and your stories to be distinctive and to reflect the stylistic decisions that you make along the way, and one of the best ways to achieve this is to develop your own unique style as an interviewer. So even if there's a chance that you might not use an interview in your film, I'd say go ahead and shoot it anyways. The worst thing that can happen is you don't use it but you've still gained that experience and learned a bit more about how to conduct a successful interview. Next, we're going to talk about interview shooting techniques. Now, at this point, I'm going to recommend that you guys go back and listen to part two of From Field Biologist to Filmmaker, which is episode 17 of the Eyes on Conservation podcast. In this episode, I provide lots of advice on selecting a video camera and audio equipment, both of which you'll need to shoot your interview. I go over some shooting techniques specific to an interview here, but if you're looking for a broader conversation about shooting techniques, definitely go back and listen to episode 17. I'm going to talk about recording audio before video, simply because for an interview, audio quality is without a doubt more important than video quality. Interviews provide the dialogue that will tell your story, and without a high-quality audio recording of that interview, it's unusable. However, if your video quality is poor, you can still use the audio. Remember, most of that interview footage will likely be covered by B-roll or action footage anyways, so getting high-quality audio should be your top logistical concern during an interview shoot. Now, before we talk about recording equipment, I have to mention the importance of location. Most folks, when just learning the basics of filmmaking, might think about the selection of an interview location based primarily on the visual component. How can I make the most beautiful shot? But you really have to think about audio when selecting your location. Background noise can absolutely ruin an interview and make it completely unusable, and this should be your primary concern when selecting an interview location. You also have to be willing and able to adapt on the fly to changing conditions. Maybe you scouted your location and it seemed nice and quiet, but by the time your interview rolls around, there's unexpected noise cutting in that you didn't detect earlier. 
you have to be ready to make an adjustment, and you can't be afraid to speak up and explain to your subject that this adjustment is required. I've encountered situations like this numerous times, but one specific instance that sticks out in my mind is an interview I recorded with medical toxicologist and pediatrician Dr. William Bithany for my film Scavenger Hunt. I flew into Atlanta just for this interview and was meeting Dr. Bithany at the hotel where I was staying to record the interview. I spent the morning scouting out a location for the interview and found a really beautiful spot outside the hotel with patio seating, nice light, very few other people, and a nice barrier between us and the road so that there wasn't much road noise. We sat down for the interview and five minutes in, a lawnmower fired up right nearby. I immediately recognized that this interview would be unusable if we stayed in this location. But I was extremely nervous about explaining this to my subject, who I had just met a few minutes ago, um, and who had been so generous in taking the time out of his busy schedule to give me this opportunity to interview him. Well, I sucked it up and explained that we'd have to find an alternate location. We went inside the hotel, and I explained my situation to the woman at the front desk. And luckily, she was able to find us a conference room that was not in use and was nice and quiet. The interview did not look all that great. It was just an empty hotel conference room uh, for a background. But because the audio was good quality, the interview was usable. And we did end up relying on Dr. Bethany's dialogue in our final edit of the film, Scavenger Hunt. Now, on to the technical aspects of recording interview audio. Let's first talk about microphones. And you basically have two options here as far as microphones are concerned for an interview. The first option is the use of a lavalier mic. This is a very small omnidirectional microphone that you can clip to your subject's shirt collar. This is how I record audio for most of my interviews. I'd say about 90% of the time. There are lots of lavalier mic options out there. Um, You can spend $800 on a really nice wireless lavalier setup, uh, which is really fantastic if your subject is going to be on the move to not have them wired uh, and connected to your recording device. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, you can buy a wired newscaster-style lavalier mic with a 3.5-millimeter mini plug. Um, I buy the Audio-Technica lavaliers, which is, uh, that's, uh, let, let me see, the model on that is ATR3350 for anyone who's interested in picking one of these up. It's a great, great tool to have in your kit. Um, and I buy these all the time um, and provide them to all of our volunteer videographers uh, because it's such an easy and inexpensive audio solution. Um, these microphones, these Audio-Technica microphones go for less than $30, which is pretty amazing. While the audio quality that you're going to get out of these inexpensive lavalier mics is definitely not as nice as the $800 Sennheiser wireless system, um, the quality is pretty darn good, especially considering the price. An added benefit is the 3.5 millimeter mini plug. Um, many consumer and prosumer level video cameras have that 3.5 millimeter mic input which means that you can plug this lavalier directly into your camera and have high-quality audio recorded in camera and instantly linked to your video file. The alternate microphone option here is a boom mic. And while this might give you better quality audio under certain circumstances, you will need a dedicated boom operator um, and or sound recordist to record audio in this way. 
A boom mic is more directional. It's uh, You're usually using a microphone called a shotgun-style microphone um, attached to a boom pole and held above the head of the subject just out of your camera frame. Recording good audio with a boom mic system requires some skill and technique. Um, it can be difficult to avoid background noise coming from movement of the boom pole, and audio levels can also change quite a bit as the direction of the mic is adjusted. If you have someone willing to help you run audio for your interview and is and this person is interested in learning and practicing his or her boom mic operation skills beforehand, then I'd say go for it. Of course, the equipment is going to be a bit more expensive on average, but you can always rent a really nice boom mic system. Regardless of whether you decide to use a lavalier or a boom mic system, you will also have to decide whether to run audio through your video camera or to record audio using a separate audio recorder. If the microphone you're using is a professional quality mic with, uh, with the standard XLR plug, you'll need this XLR input on your audio recorder. Now, most professional video cameras do have dedicated XLR inputs. However, few consumer or prosumer level cameras um, and none of the DSLRs that I know of come with these inputs. So if you have an XLR mic, but you don't have a video camera with this type of audio input, you have two options. First, you can use a separate audio field recorder. Field recorders are very reasonably priced these days, and unlike video cameras, the technology hasn't changed much over the past 10 years, so it's likely that you'll get a lot of use out of this piece of equipment. I bought my Fostex uh, FR2 back in 2009 or so, and I'm still using it, um, while the video camera that I bought at around that same time is now completely obsolete. Another option is to buy an XLR converter for your DSLR or other video camera. As long as your camera has one of those 3.5mm microphone inputs, you can buy a converter box that plugs into this audio mini port and splits the signal into two balanced XLR inputs. I bought one of these converters uh, from a company called BeachTech a number of years ago, and I've been very happy with the audio quality that I get when using it. Uh, these days, you could probably find one designed specifically to fit which was with whatever model of DSLR you happen to own. The benefit of these converters is that your audio is recorded in camera with no syncing required during post-production. Of course, syncing audio with video has gotten a lot easier in recent years with software that automatically links video and audio tracks. Uh, this software only works if you have Intel have an intelligible audio track on your video file, but assuming that you have this, um, this software works surprisingly well. Um, we used a software called Plural Eyes to sync our footage for Bluebird Man, much of which was recorded with separate audio tracks on my Fostex field recorder. Now, once you know how to conduct an interview and record high-quality audio, and we've learned that there are a number of options that will allow you to do this, um, you can start thinking about how to make the visual representation of your subject look really beautiful and professional in that shot that you're getting. There are lots of strategies and approaches towards setting up your shot for an interview, and it's important to remember while prepping for this component um, of your interview that it is the least important piece of the puzzle. Um, that said, there are a few simple tricks that will allow you to pretty consistently get good quality footage of your interview subjects. So first, I'm going to talk about lighting. 
This is a topic that we didn't touch on at all in our episode about shooting techniques, mainly because I was focused on run-and-gun style shooting and what you need to do to capture events in the moment. With an interview, however, you have time to set up your location and make everything look just the way you want it to. If you're shooting indoors, uh, having a lighting kit can be a huge benefit and can add a very nice element to your footage. Now, this is the part where I admit that I don't own a real lighting kit and have actually never used one in my life. <laughs> um, what I do have is a pair of china balls uh, with dimmer switches. So for those who are unfamiliar with uh, china balls, these are basically uh, the collapsible paper balls that have this wire frame that house an incandescent light bulb. Um, you can buy them at Home Depot or any hardware store for less than $10. Um, and they are a fantastic tool to have in your kit as a filmmaker. Um, when setting up your interview, you'll want to position your china balls basically the same way you would set up a traditional lighting kit with your primary, what's called a key light, um, in front and to the side of your subject so that it's illuminating one side of your subject's face. Um, and basically what that china ball does is it softens that light so that there aren't any really harsh shadows in that key light. The second china ball can be used to provide what's called fill light, basically the opposite of the key light. Um, and the goal of this fill light is to fill in the darker parts of the subject's face and make sure that you're completely avoiding any of those harsh shadows. I often can get by with just a single china ball as key light and then use existing light in the space um, to fill in those shadows and substitute for that fill light. Now, I don't always use my china balls when shooting indoors, um, and I'll have some additional tips later on on how to get by uh, without any additional lighting at all uh, when shooting indoors uh, when I get to the next section where I talk about camera settings. Um, but how about shooting interviews outdoors? This is really my preferred option. No additional lighting is needed for this, and I like the feel of an outdoor interview much better. Although you won't need additional lighting in most outdoor situations, you do have to think about lighting when selecting your outdoor interview location. You basically have two options. Shoot at dawn or dusk, when the sun has dropped low enough that you don't have that harsh direct sunlight hitting your subject, or find a nice shady spot with soft diffuse light. If you're going to shoot at dawn or dusk during that magic hour as has been deemed by Hollywood, there are a few things to keep in mind. First of all, you have to know that you have very limited time. You literally only get one hour of nice light before it's too dark to continue shooting. You also have to keep in mind that your lighting is going to be constantly changing over the course of your interview. You'll have to be looking at your camera and making exposure adjustments periodically to make sure your shot looks okay. I had one interview that I shot for Scavenger Hunt that ran a bit longer than I anticipated and I literally ran out of daylight. I set up my shot right as the sun dropped below the dramatic Vermilion Cliffs of northern Arizona. It looked really nice, um, but about an hour later my subject was still talking and I had completely run out of daylight. I continued with the interview since I knew that the audio would still be high quality um, and the dialogue was thus still potentially usable, but I did learn an important lesson that day. 
Interestingly enough, I actually did end up using some of that very dark interview footage in the final film. My subject happened to be telling the story of discovering a group of California condors feeding on a human body in the Grand Canyon, and the dialogue was simply too good to discard. These days, I shoot most of my interviews midday, primarily because that's the easiest time to schedule a time for the interview with my subjects. So if I want to shoot these midday interviews outside, I have to find a nice spot in the shade. I learned this lesson the hard way as well. The first interview that we shot for our documentary Bluebird Man was an interview with the president of the North American Bluebird Society. We wanted to shoot the interview at dusk, but it was late spring, long days, and time was tight. So we set up the interview with our subject looking almost directly into the setting sun. My thoughts were that the sun should be the equivalent of our key light and should therefore illuminate one side of the subject's face. The result was that our subject was squinting into the bright sunlight and sweating from the heat throughout the course of the interview, basically making it unusable. Uh, we, did, uh, we did end up using a fair amount of the dialogue um, from that interview in the film, um, but we couldn't actually show any of the interview footage itself. So shade is key when shooting outdoor interviews. Um, I'm now going to elaborate on this a bit because you have to think about more than just finding a shady spot. You have to think about what the background looks like as well. Um, is this background in the shade or is the background really brightly lit by the sun? Um, if your interview subject is in the shade but your background is in direct sunlight, then your background is going to be completely blown out and overexposed. And this can be distracting and should be avoided probably in most circumstances. So I'd recommend trying to find a spot where not only is your subject in the shade, but the area that will appear in the background of the shot is also primarily in the shade. Um, the imagery that appears in the background of your shot is important to the overall look of your interview, um, and it is by carefully controlling what appears in this background area that you will take your interview shot to the next level and make it look really beautiful and professional. Both lighting and camera selection techniques will play into this issue of designing the overall look of your shot and controlling the background imagery. So now let's talk about selecting your camera and lens for an interview. The SLR and large image sensor cameras really shine when it comes to capturing beautiful interview shots. This is due in large part to the control that these cameras give you over your depth of field. Now, if you're confused about the terminology I'm using here, I'm going to suggest again that you go back and listen to episode 17 of the podcast, our shooting guide in which I discuss camera technology and selection at length. Here in this episode, I'm going to assume that you know that depth of field means the area within which your image is in focus, um, and I'm not going to get into the relationship between the size of your camera's image sensor and depth of field. So, DSLR cameras and other new large image sensor video cameras are great for interviews because it's a whole lot easier to control that depth of field and to get that shallow depth of field that you really want in most situations, I think, for an interview. All you have to do is adjust the aperture on your lens. The wider the aperture, the smaller your depth of field. Now, why do you want this shallow depth of field for your interview? 
this is this is personal preference for sure, and not everybody's going to want that effect. Um, and there are certain circumstances where you might want everything in your interview shot to be in crisp focus. Um, but in general, your shot is going to look a lot more professional when you have that shallow depth of field. Here is the reason for this. When we see your interview subject on camera, you usually don't want to distract the viewer with whatever is going on in the background. Depth of field is a tool that you can use to direct the attention of your audience. This is used all the time in Hollywood films um, when you see uh, that racked focus effect um, where you have two main characters within the shot and as one character goes out of focus, um, the other comes into crisp focus. And we understand as viewers um, that this, uh, this, this rack focus effect is telling us who we're supposed to be paying attention to in the shot. Documentary interviews are the same. It's the same concept. You generally don't want your viewers to be distracted by what's happening in the background of your interview shot. This is another reason to shoot your outdoor interviews in a shady spot. When you have a lower light situation, as you do in the shade, um, you're able to open up your aperture um, a lot wider than you would if you had direct sunlight. Um, and this uh, wider open aperture is going to decrease your depth of field and help blur out that background. If you have full sunlight on your subject, you're going to need an ND filter if you want to open up your aperture and blur out the background. Um, and an ND filter, for anyone who doesn't know, is uh, basically a light filter that's screwed onto the front of your lens and blocks a certain percentage of that light before it even hits your lens. When shooting indoors, in most circumstances, you're going to have less light, making it pretty easy to open up that aperture and achieve that same shallow depth of field effect. This is true even if you're using uh, shining balls or a lighting kit. Um, however, you, if you don't have access to any type of additional lighting, um, using this shallow depth of field effect is a good trick for making your interview look professional um, without that additional light. So here are my promised tricks for achieving professional-looking interview video footage when working indoors without additional light. First of all, use the lighting that you have at your disposal. If there's a lamp in the room, move it around and position it so that it serves as your key light on your subject. Experiment with turning other sources of light on and off until you achieve the right amount of fill light. Keep looking at the image in your camera as you adjust the lighting and just figure out what works through trial and error. Selecting a visually appealing background pattern and making sure that it's blurred out nicely will also help a lot in this type of situation. The first step towards achieving this effect is opening up your aperture as wide as possible. The second step is to increase the distance of your subject from the background. If your subject is sitting directly in front of a bookshelf, for example, that bookshelf will be in pretty sharp focus no matter how wide open your aperture is, since your subject is sitting right up against it. If, however, you move your subject so that he or she is separated from that bookshelf that will appear in the background by at least a few feet, you're going to be able to blur that background out at least a little bit and achieve that depth of field effect that you're looking for. When working indoors, and especially in small spaces, this can be really important, not just for focusing the viewer's attention, but for making a space feel less cramped. 
allowing you to blur out that background just a little bit can make a small cramped office feel like a roomy space because the viewer can't tell how much distance there is between the subject and the background when it's blurred out that is of course there are downsides to shooting interviews with a dslr many dslrs have a clip size limit that will stop recording video after 12 to 15 minutes of time this is no good if this dslr is your primary or heaven forbid only camera being used for an interview if this is your situation, I would highly re recommend using a second camera for your shoot, even if it's just a small point-and-shoot camcorder. Or, if this is impossible, record your audio separately. As I've said over and over, your audio is more important than the video, and you don't want to miss any of that dialogue. So roll audio with a separate field recorder, and you know that you won't miss any of the interview dialogue, even if your DSLR stops recording right in the middle of a good response. Running two cameras for an interview is actually, I think, always a good idea. Um, and it can make things a bit hectic, especially if you don't have anyone helping you on the shoot. But it's very nice to have two different shots for an editor to work with in post-production. This allows an editor to cut back and forth between these two shots and to cheat by clipping out unwanted bits of dialogue um, without the viewer taking notice and without actually cutting away from the interview footage itself. Of course, for this to work, your two shots have to be different. There's not much of a point in rolling two cameras if you set up the same shot in each one. So a medium or a close shot with your DSLR and a wide shot with your point and shoot might be a good setup. This brings us to the topic of framing your shot. This is something that many aspiring filmmakers tend to forget about, but it is very important. For anyone who went to film school or ever took any kind of class at all in video production, this will be old hat. But the first thing to keep in mind when framing your shot is what's called the rule of thirds. Here's how this works. Imagine that your screen is split into three equal parts horizontally. This creates two horizontal lines running across the frame. You want your subject's eye line to rest on the topmost of these two lines. This is a virtually universal rule. No matter what type of shot, whether it's a wide, a medium, or a close-up, the subject's eye line should always rest on that upper horizontal line that splits the screen into thirds. When I first began shooting video interviews, I tended towards a wider angle shot for many of my interviews. Um, however, as time has progressed, I've gained more experience and I now shoot most interviews about halfway between a medium shot and a close-up. This is definitely a personal preference, but my reasoning behind this is that when I cut to an image of my interview subject, I want viewers to really see this person and get a sense of who they are through their facial expressions. It's a lot harder to get this with a wide shot, and unless the subject is very animated or moving around a lot, I prefer a medium or a close-up shot for an interview. I generally avoid the extreme close-up, primarily because I know that I can always crop in to get a little bit of a closer shot in post-production, and I, I rarely want to get that close to, to my subject anyways. Now, as a final note, I'm going to share a trick for folks who are shooting with inexpensive camcorders that have very small image sensors and therefore not as much control over depth of field. It's a lot more difficult to achieve that shallow depth of field effect with a camera like this, but it is not impossible. 
I shot almost every interview for Scavenger Hunt on just such a camera. It was a small camcorder recording in uh, HDV onto DV tapes. In a situation like this, you have to remember that there is another way to decrease your depth of field, and this is by using a telephoto lens. Many of these inexpensive camcorders with very small image sensors also have pretty impressive zoom lenses. The camcorder that I uh, used for scavenger hunt had a 10x zoom range, and these days it's not uncommon to see a 20x optical zoom range on cameras like this. So, to decrease your depth of field, you just zoom in all the way on that camcorder, or most of the way, um, and see how much of that blurred background effect you're able to achieve. Of course, you'll have to move your camera pretty far away from your subject, so this is probably only feasible for an outdoor interview, unless you have a whole lot of room indoors to work with. Um, and remember, if it's outdoors, keep it in the shade, because you also want to make sure that that, that um, aperture is as open up as it can get on the camera. And, as explained above, you can also increase the distance between your subject and the background to also facilitate the increase of that blurred out background effect. This is a trick that I didn't actually figure out until close to the end of production on my film Scavenger Hunt. One of the final interviews that we shot for this film was recorded in a park near downtown Boise, Idaho, and it turned out to be one of the prettiest interviews that was included in the final film, um, this despite the fact that it was recorded in one of the least distinctive locations. Well, that's about all I've got to say about the documentary interview, for now at least. Hopefully this information has been helpful for a few of our listeners, and if it has been particularly helpful for you, um, I would love to hear some feedback. It's, it's always helpful to hear um, from our listeners, and feedback on an episode like this would be particularly helpful for me. So go ahead and check out the show notes page um, at wildlensinc.org eoc34 and leave a comment or shoot me an email at Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, at wildlensinc.org. Um, let me know what was most helpful for you um, and or what you wished I would have talked about more. Um, I might even choose a few of my favorite responses and send out a couple care packages with Wildlens t-shirts uh, or maybe some DVDs. And since I haven't mentioned this in a long time, I'll remind everyone who's still listening at this point that if you enjoy this podcast and you want to help spread the word, a review and a rating on iTunes really does make a big difference for us. Um, we'll have a link on the show notes page to visit the show um, in the iTunes store. And from our iTunes store page, you can then click on the ratings and reviews tab. Um, and here you'll see an option to rate the show and to write a quick one or two sentence review. Those show notes, again, can be found at wildlensinc.org slash EOC34. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. ¶¶